You are now listening to Testimonies with Terry. Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome to the fifth episode of Season 2 of Testimonies with Terry. I'm your host, Terry Skaggs, and make sure to give me a follow on social media at TWTerryPod on Instagram and Twitter and the Testimonies with Terry Facebook page. Today, I'm going to be chatting with a man who was super instrumental in me coming to the Lord and growing in the Lord. You're going to hear the testimony of a man who grew up in less than favorable circumstances, was looking for love, acceptance, and stability that he hadn't experienced, and how the church stepped in to give him all that and more with Jesus. You're going to hear the full circle testimony of how he went from being a youth needing to be mentored and discipled to now running a ministry where he does that for the youth of today. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Christian Kermeyer's testimony. All right, everyone. I am here with one of my longtime friends and one of the people who was super instrumental in me coming to the Lord and developing a relationship with him, Christian Kermeyer. Christian, thanks so much for hopping on, man. Yeah, thanks, Terry. This is... Uh... Exciting. I'm I'm excited to be here. And I mean, that's super kind to say about you coming to the Lord. I'm so glad that we're friends and that, uh, you know, Jesus, that's incredible. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember the first time we met? Oh, man, I remember the time, man, I, I think, like, I remember all the like, kind of that time of life. But I don't know if I remember the exact moment. Do you? Yeah. yeah. So we were at Westwood church doing the Kent Hovind yes, study. Yes, yes. And I think our friend Sierra is the one that introduced us because yeah. she knew we were both Vikings yeah, fans. Yeah, there it is. And she yeah. said, hey, I think she called you over and said, hey, you got to check this guy's tattoo out. Yeah, and that's great. I, you know, if you guys listen to my testimony, you know that the Vikings were pretty much my life for a yeah. period of time there. And yeah. I got the horn tattooed on my arm and yeah. you came over and it's like, man, we instantly clicked right there. Yeah, we absolutely did. It was so great. And a yeah. lot of good memories going down to Mankato yeah. for, for training camp. Yeah. I'm uh, yeah. staring, we're in our basement right now and I'm staring at my signed Adrian Peterson jersey. And man, that wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for you because he totally skipped over me. And you kind of just put the Sharpie in his hand and said, hey, can you sign my buddy's jersey? And I mean, totally made a a lifelong memory for me. So I always think about that every time I I look at that. So thank you for doing that. Yeah, that's awesome. That's so good. So fun. I remember those. Those are some some of my favorite, especially like Single life, pre-marriage, I think just going down to Mankato and hanging out with a buddy. And yeah, those are some of my fondest memories. Those are fun. And we made the news. Yeah, we did. Yeah, (laughs) I still get like, I still have people come uh, like on my Facebook or my social media if it like comes up in their memories and they'll like tag me in it. And I'm like, oh, geez, like here we go again. Right. Yeah. Yeah, The the local morning news basically caught us at four in the morning, you yeah. know, standing in line, waiting to get some prime seats for autographs. And yeah. we got to be interviewed and 
to show our crazy fandom. So, man, yeah, pretty cool memories. Yeah, so great. My wife still is trying to get rid of those bibs, I think. I think they're somewhere in my, <laughs> these like, these uh, uh, purple and gold bibs that I wore to, to training camp. And she, I think they're like her least favorite article of clothing I've ever owned. So, yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Well, Christian, again, I'm excited to have you on and go through your, your testimony here. Yeah. Let's, let's go back. Where did you yeah. grow up? What was family life like for you? Yeah. So um, I was born in the St. Cloud Hospital. Um, I'm uh, 32 years old. So 1989 is when I was born. And uh, my, my family life, uh, so we lived in Sauk Rapids. Um, my, my parents were um, 19 and 20 and radically not ready to have a kid. Um, there, there was a lot of, uh, a, a lot of dysfunction. Um, they, they weren't married. They weren't, uh, they weren't, they didn't have either of their lives anywhere near figured out and to have a kid into the world was pretty shocking. I think for them. Yeah. We, uh, my sister came, uh, about a year and a half later, um, and uh parents were still living in crazy um drugs and alcohol and um abuse and partying were all a part of the story um and they i think were just trying like i think any any 19 or 20 year old who finds himself in that situation is just trying to find ways to survive so um uh, I remember, well, I think first off, I think one, uh, one of the things I see in my life a lot, um, is God's hand of protection as much as, as we talk about it a little bit more today, we'll talk about some of the crazy that was represented, uh, in my story. But, uh, I think early on, I, I can even look at my story and see where God was already protecting. And so, and I'm sure there's a lot of reasons as to why this is but i i mean probably before the age of like six or seven i don't have a lot of um memories which is uh, i mean i think actually really good i don't i think some of the ones that i do uh are a fair enough example of that there wouldn't be a lot of real great ones and uh i think my heart and uh, my soul have been protected a little bit from some of that so anyway uh at about five years old, uh, my parents decided uh, to try to fix uh, their, they decided to try to fix their relationship by getting married. Um, and uh, there was a lot of, um, like, I remember lots of nights waking up to to physical fights, to police at the door, to th- things like that. Um, and uh, it turns out that when you one, when you don't have Jesus, and two, when you don't have health, uh, uh, getting married is not going to solve those problems. And so my parents got divorced when I was eight, um, and uh, lots of chaos. My uh, my stepdad came into the picture shortly after, um, and uh, I think my dad had moved out um, and maybe within a month, my stepdad was living with us. Um, and, you know, an eight-year-old 
who doesn't know anything and loves his dad and um, has grown up in chaos is uh, angry when another guy moves in. Uh, and um, and in a lot of ways, uh, I've come to, to love uh, my stepdad, and yet I have uh, a lot of hurt there as well um, uh, with him. Uh, he came in in a real way of trying to, like, take over, um, you know, things like wanting me to call him dad from, like, day one and some different things like that. And then his discipline style was borderline abusive. Um, and so, uh, uh, both physically and emotionally. And, uh, I was a pretty sensitive, uh, little boy. Um, I, I have one of those now, his name is Max and he's a sensitive little boy, but he is so (laughs) sweet and so, uh, kind. And I'm so thankful that God has made me or worked in me, works through me, uh, to be the kind of dad, um, that can, that can nurture um, a sensitive heart. Um, I think about how important. I think later, as we talk, Terry, we'll get to some some people in my life who uh, did a really good job um, of trying to cultivate um, that heart in me, and and what uh, and seeing that there was a sensitive boy um, in 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 me that that just needed uh, to be cared for and. Uh, and because of that, because of those people um, reaching in, I think I can, through through the power of the Holy Spirit, I think I can do that well with my son now, which is a really, which is a really sweet thing. Yeah, which is a really sweet thing. And so. God, God uses everything, right? Yeah. And there's a lot to unpack there. I want to go yeah. back. Your parents divorced when you were around eight. Yeah. Yeah. What was that like for you as an eight-year-old? Your parents divorced. Obviously, you grew up in this chaos. Were you kind of happy that they were divorcing because maybe that would be an end of, to the yeah. chaos? Or were yeah. you sad you know, about the family system kind of deteriorating? Yeah. What was yeah. that like for you? Yeah, I think, when you're, I think when you're eight and all you've known is pretty radical dysfunction and, um, and chaos, you don't even know to want something else. Um, all I knew is that it meant my dad wasn't at home. And so for me, that's all I wanted. Like I wanted him to be together. I wanted things to just be better just because my dad and my mom had divorced. And just because he was out of the house, um, didn't mean that the, like the dysfunction and the chaos between them had stopped. So you know, dysfunction brings more dysfunction, brings more dysfunction. And so, yeah, I don't, and, and with that came some pretty yucky, like custody battle stuff, as well as like, you know, I I actually don't have the timeline overly perfect in my head, but like, you know, from that point on, there were lots of times where I, I couldn't tell you who I was living with, you know, I was living either with, with my dad for a while. And then I'd go to visit my mom and my mom wouldn't let us go back. And, and then that would happen again the other way. And so, um, that just kind of started, it just kind of started this different version uh, of dysfunction. Um, that was never really, yeah, really exciting. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. 
What was your relationship with your sister like? Did these yeah. chaotic times kind of cause you to like bond together or was it every kid for themselves? Yeah, I think it really wasn't every kid for themselves. It's a really good um, descriptor for it. Um, my relationship with my sister is probably the hardest thing that we'll talk about um, for me uh, today. Uh, as as we get a little further in the story um, and as I'm where we kind of had this back and forth of living with my mom and then living with my dad. And, uh, we ended up living in Sock Rapids for, um, a majority of time from about, I would say from about fifth grade to about ninth grade with my, uh, with my dad, um, in a, in a trailer court in, uh, in Sock Rapids. And, um, through that, uh, I'll, I'll get into how Jesus, uh, introduced himself into my life. Um, which I'm excited to share, but I think my sister that didn't happen for, um, I mean, I think, I think God is always pursuing her, uh, uh, but her finding a relationship with him has, has, has yet to happen. And there's a lot of pain and a lot of hurt for her, um, associated with that. Um, as you can imagine when you come and, and really, honestly, I'm at, at you know, the statistics for what my story looked like and where you should be, now are not good. Um, they're just not good. Yeah. And uh, uh, my sister is on the other side of those statistics. Um, I, you know, the fact that I get to um, have a beautiful family at home, uh, love Jesus every day, and make him my number one every day is a rarity um, when, when you have zero example of what good, healthy life looks like um, growing up. And that's what my sister had. And so my sister has made a lot of really tough choices and her and I have struggled um, in that. Uh, I think the every, every, every man for themselves kind of thing makes a lot of sense. I think when, when I, when, when I found Jesus and I started to find people who, who loved Jesus, um, there was, it became my escape. And so I just like, as as a seventh grader, I'd just run. I'd just like it, you know, to them. Like I'd be, I'd be at church, uh, you know, I'd found a church and I'd be at church all the time. If I could be, I'd be at uh, friends' houses whose families were Christians all the time if I could be. And I don't, I did not realize at the time that my sister was alone, uh, in that. Um, now I think an immature Christian, an immature me, um, has at times looked at that and gone, gone the way of guilt. Uh, like, uh, I left her, I abandoned her in that. And um, in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. Um, Amen. He is, uh, he is good. He cares about my sister more than I could ever care for her. Uh, he cares for her better. Um, he, he knows what she needs. He's wherever she is at right now. Um and that's been true uh, since 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 before she came into this world, and it'll be true when she leaves it, and Amen. it will be true regardless of if I'm a good brother or a struggling brother or or any of that. And so I have hope um, for my sister, but all the things you could imagine hap- that that could happen, especially for a, a young lady in the midst of chaos, is probably big parts of my sister's story. And so that's, uh, that's both really, really hard. And I know that 
Jesus cares about her as much as he cares about me, as much as he cares about any other person, and he is pursuing her. Yeah. So. Well, yeah, Christian, I think you nailed it right on the head where you said there is no shame, there is no condemnation in Christ. And it sounds like that's something that you've had to learn throughout your life to like surrender over yeah. to God is, is those yeah. feelings that you have in regards to that relationship. You know, th- this podcast, how God has used it, it's been pretty crazy. People all over the world are mm-hmm. listening to it. Who knows? Your sister at some point may find this, may listen to it. Yeah. What would you want to tell your sister? Yeah, I think... Uh so my sister's name is Kareen and, uh, um, I, I love her. I, I really do. I, um, I've struggled a lot with, with lots of different emotions, uh, with her, um, uh, anger, uh, sadness, frustration. Um, but I really do love her, um, and I, I am trying every day uh, to to better love her as Christ uh, would love her. And so I would want her to know that. I would want her to know that she is loved um, and, that, uh, and that Jesus is available to her. Amen. Yeah. Well, I'll be yeah. praying for healing and, and restoration in that relationship when— mm. Christ restores something, he makes it better than what it ever was before. So true. Right? So definitely be praying into that for Mm -hmm. you. So your parents get divorced when you were eight. Your mom remarries. How long, like how big of a gap in between there was it until she got remarried? Yeah. So uh, my my stepdad moved in with us within a month uh, of of, uh, my dad moving out, I I think. And then... um, uh, they got married. Um, it was about three, three or four years later. Okay. I, I want to say, yeah. Well, man, mm-hmm. that is an awful quick turnaround. Yeah, to go from yeah, one is. man in your home to another yeah. man in your yeah. home. What was that like for you? Again, eight years old. I was, I'm assuming you're in like third or fourth grade at yeah. the time. Yeah. What was that like for you, man? Yeah, lots of. Uh, I got I got real angry. Like I, I think I was a, a pretty angry. Um, eight-year-old, uh, an angry eight-year-old with a pretty soft heart. Um, I don't know if you've ever met those, but I have, I, I, I think I can see it, uh, pretty quick sometimes. And I think a lot of times when we see anger, we see, uh, we see toughness and we see, um, hardness. And, uh, uh, a lot of times I always challenge myself to look a little deeper than that. Cause I think a lot of times there's a Especially, especially with with young men, I think there's a there's a pretty pretty scared, um, quiet boy in there that that needs that needs some nurturing and some love. Um, and so, yeah, I would describe my heart um, in that state of like angry and pretty sensitive. <laughs> um, and so, and yeah, a lot of that went went towards, towards my stepdad. I think, I think some of it, um, some of it justifiably so in some ways, my stepdad, uh, you know, definitely didn't parent, um, in a real perfect way. Um, but also somebody was going to get that anger from me. I think no matter, no matter what, I think I was, that, that was going to come out somewhere. So what did that anger look like for you? Yeah, I think it was a lot of, um, just at eight, I think a lot of just like, you know, 
misbehaving, not not listening, um, just running around. I also, I think it came up in, out in some some hyperactive ways um, as well. But I think just a lot of, especially towards my stepdad, just a lot of like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna listen to you. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna do everything, everything to let you know that you um, do not get to be my dad. And yeah. Yeah. And what we know about anger, Christian, obviously, is that that's a surface level emotion. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes underneath that, there's a lot of hurt. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of sadness. Does that resonate with you? Oh, for sure. Yeah. You know, as you can imagine, as you become an adult and hopefully, you know, especially with the help of Christ and, and, and hopefully other mature people around you and you, you become an adult, you, you start to uncover, you know, some of those things. And I think understanding, uh, where I was at as, uh, as, as it, as a young child, um, as a teenager, um, all of those things are really important to, uh, to me becoming a good husband and a good dad. And, um, and hopefully I can be those things. Um, but I think, uh, I think understanding, um, for me, the deep sadness, because I think anger, you're right, is the sur- is the surface level thing. But I think I was, I think I, I was in this constant state for a long time of grief for what I didn't have. Um, even even as I started to become a little bit more healthy and see, um, and the reason I was becoming more healthy is because I was seeing these these healthy relationships in my life. I was starting to see what a healthy family could look like in some of my friends' families, and I was starting to see um, what health could be uh, at and 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 I was starting to become a little bit healthier because of that. But in the same regard, there was this underlying grief that was that was always like growing. I think um, that as an adult, I really had to wrestle with and 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 deal with uh, of like almost like putting something to death a little bit. Like okay, that isn't what you had, um, and is that okay? Can you trust? Can you trust that? the story that God is telling is better than the story that you'd have. Um, which I think was a big, was a big deal for me. I, for a long time wished, I think like that eight year old boy that could my dad just come back and could this just be fixed and could this just be what I want it to be? Could this just be and look like what families on TV, you know, look like. And when that didn't happen, I think dealing with that was a big thing. And I think trusting that, that God, it was it was it was a turning point for me when I said, um, "I'm going to trust that the story you're telling is better than the story I can tell." I remember uh, I was probably 20 when um, when I just just by myself. I had been reading um, I had been reading in John 10:10, um, and this this idea of the enemy comes to steal kill and destroy and i come that you may have life and life to the full and i was trying to figure out how you have life to the full when you have so much brokenness you know in the first 20 years um of your life um and man if 32 year old christian could talk to 20 year old christian he'd think he was silly because god has done way more than that we'll we'll get there but and i share i shared a little bit but i'm married to the most incredible woman on the face of the planet. Her name's Sheena. And uh, 
she's the epitome of grace and humbleness and um, care and love. And she uh, and she and I have two incredible uh, little kids. Uh, Maxwell's our boy; he's six, and Sela is our little uh, spitfire of a lady, and she is uh, three. Um, but she's going to be four and she'll let you know. Um, but, uh, often when I, when I share my story, I also work uh, for a nonprofit in town called youth for Christ. And, uh, we work with teenagers and, um, we encourage them to share and to tell their story. And so we share our story, um, with them. And, um, often when I share my story, I start at the end because Sheena and Max and Sayla are, the most incredible thing that I could ever have anticipated or asked for. And if changing anything in the first 20 years of my life would change where my life is right now, I would not even think about touching it. And so I will trust in the story that God is telling. But that took, that took laying down that sadness and that grief that took um recognizing that that's what it was terry it wasn't anger um you know it was it was deep sadness and grief for a way that life wasn't meant to be and wasn't isn't, isn't supposed to look and uh, an example of a family unit that wasn't how god intended it to be um but yet he was telling a greater story and i i get to just be a part of that and i get to be blessed by that all the time. And, and he's not just telling a bigger story for me, he's telling a bigger story for the entire world. And so if I'll, if I'll allow it, if I'll allow myself, I just get to benefit from the many blessings from this huge, big story that he's telling. Yeah, man. I mean, your story has such a redemption mm-hmm. theme and, and piece to it, which obviously that's what God does, yeah. right? And yeah. I'm excited to continue to flesh out some of these details to get that full picture. But yeah. going back, uh, again, very quick transition from dad to stepdad, a lot of anger, a lot of grief, a mm-hmm. lot of sadness. I'm wondering, who did you have to talk to about those feelings? Yeah. Did you have any type of support system during that time? So definitely not during that time. I mean, my mom uh, was not at a place. I mean, you know, again, uh, lots of dysfunction. She was she was not at a place uh, to to really be able to parent, to parent well. Um, one of the things, and uh, I, I try to be real, real kind uh, with with my words of share. I've shared my story in my life a, a lot of places, uh, never never on recording. And uh, um, I don't know if my mom will hear this or not, but she needs to know that I love her. But also, when my mom was th- three years old, she was in a car accident and had a traumatic brain injury. Um, and she never really got past the cognitive capabilities of about a 15 year old. Mm -hmm. And so you can imagine how a 15 year old handles life in general, let alone kids, relationships, um, responsibilities. Um, and so my mom wasn't really at a place, uh, to be able to, uh, to emotionally help an eight-year-old who was who was struggling um, in some of those transitions, and um, that uh, that kind of continued, I would say, up until honestly, like lots lots of moving back and forth between my my mom and my my dad, and 
not ever really having anybody to really to really talk to, to really um, confide in, to really help with uh, with processing. Um, we uh, we were living with my dad uh, when from I said earlier from about fifth grade to about ninth grade, and um, and in that time, I didn't know it. Um, at the time. And again, I'm going to share some more things about my parents, my dad, uh, who, who I love and who I'll, I'll get to in a little bit. There's an incredible redemption story for my dad as well. Um, but my dad, um, was, was addicted to, to drugs, to a a few different kinds, um, of drugs. And, uh, I didn't know it, you know, as a fifth grader and as a sixth grader and as a seventh grader, but my dad, you know, was always in his room and seldom around. And, you know, I took care of myself a lot, you know, and, and same with my sister. And, and we, I didn't know why that was, but when, when that's the case and your, your, your parents aren't focused on the things that they need to be focused on for you, you start to, you know, you start to find ways to take care of yourself and you don't always find all the right things. And so, you know, I was a seventh grader who uh, didn't have clean clothes when he'd go into seventh grade and didn't have, um, you know, I had, I would always describe it as Harry Potter hair. You know, I had crazy Harry Potter hair and um, was dirty and smelly and didn't know what hygiene was and, and, uh, and all, all of that. And um, as you can imagine, with that, you know, if that's true in seventh grade, with it comes another thing, which is other kids. Yeah. And uh, I don't have a better descriptor other than school sucked, you know, like I just don't have another way to describe that. Um, uh, I I remember multiple mornings my alarm would wake would wake me up and I would just keep my eyes closed as long as I could, um, fully awake, but wishing that I could just stay there and then just not have to go. And I actually remember one specific day um, of doing that. And then I remembered that uh, there was even the hope of something different when your life is just the same all the time and you hate it, like all the time, any little different thing can get you excited. And so I had remembered that there was a kid at school and I wouldn't even really call him a friend and I didn't even really I wouldn't have called anybody friends um uh in seventh grade uh but I there was this there was this one this one kid who um had invited me to this thing called youth group and it was on a Wednesday night and I was gonna go like and um I didn't know what it was but I man it sounded different and I wanted something different. And so that got me out of bed that day. And I was like, okay, I'll go to school and I'll fight through so I can go, um, to this afterwards. I remember getting, I remember getting home and my dad had said he'd take me up there, but then he wasn't, um, available. And, uh, the church though was actually probably, you know, half a mile away from, from my house. And so I was going to walk, but it was raining (laughs) and, uh, um, but I just, and so I remember going to my room being like, I guess I'm not going to that tonight. And then I just decided that I'm going. So I put on a jacket and I walked through the rain up to this church um, in Sock Rapids. Uh, it's called Bridge Community Church um, in Sock Rapids. And I, 
I walked in there and there was all this buzz going on. There were just people talking and and having fun and smiling and playing dodgeball. And um, everybody said hi to me and everybody was kind and nobody made a joke about how I looked or how I smelt. And, um, I, and, and then some big guy got up and talked about Jesus for a while. And I knew who Jesus was, but... I didn't really like know who he was. And so I was like, okay, um, this was cool though. This was nice. And then I was about to go and walk home. And uh, this boy I had met uh, while I was there, um, his name was Caleb. All I knew is that he was much older than me and could drive. Um, and he came up to me and uh, and says, hey, do you want to come uh, with me and uh, my friends to Perkins afterwards? And I'd never been invited to anything like that, like to do anything with anybody. And so to do something like that was um, really exciting. But I didn't, I mean, the barrier seemed far too many. I was like, I don't have money. I don't have like, you know, and so I was like, oh, no, I don't have any money. And I, I you know, I'm going to walk home. And and he was like, oh, no, we'll we'll pay for you. We'll, we'll drive you. Come with us. And so uh, I went with them. And I just remember, I still remember that night. Like it was, it was just teenagers being silly, you know, like having fun, hanging out, everybody like splitting their money to get a piece of pie or something, you know, I'm sure the servers hated us. And, um, but it was, uh, it was so, it was so nice and everyone was so kind. And I not only met Caleb, but I met this, this other guy named Joseph and, uh, and just a bunch of other people that were just super, super kind. And, um, they, uh, Caleb went to take me home, um, afterwards and, uh, he dropped me off at, at my house and in, in the trailer court that I lived in, you had, to uh, when you dropped me off at my house, you had to go down and kind of go around a roundabout and then come back past my house again. Um, and I was just so in shock of like, nobody had ever treated me mm. like this, uh, especially not another student, especially not somebody who I thought was cool. Um, I'll never forget, and if you're if you're a Christian kid of the early 2000s, you'll only get this. But uh, um, I'll never forget uh, hearing Reliant K in his van when he drove me home that night because it was the greatest greatest music I ever heard in my life. <laughs> um, but uh, anyway, so he had take he'd take me home, and he's driving he's driving back through, and I was just in such shock um, that I stopped him uh, as he was driving past my house again, and I. He rolled down his window and I just said, why did you do this? Like, nobody does this. Nobody treats me like this. And Caleb, as a 16-year-old who loved Jesus and um, as cheesy as it sounds, just looked at me and said, hey, man, we love Jesus and we love you. And from that moment, uh, I wanted to know who Jesus was and why he cause people to love hmm. like that Dude, and my yeah. yeah my my heart is yeah. is both breaking but then yeah. like overflowing with joy hearing that story because yeah. i'm just like imagining all this playing out in my head and man it, it all comes back to kindness right yeah. just being kind yeah. it, it costs nothing to be kind and yeah. look at what that act of kindness Look at what that effect had on your life, that yeah. impact that it had on your life, right? Yeah. And before we kind of get into you 
pursuing after Jesus yeah. more. I want to go back a little bit. You said that you kind of knew of Jesus, but up yeah. until that first day of going to youth group, what was your view of, of God like? Yeah, yeah. So I think both of my parents, um, you know, as, as you can imagine in central Minnesota, there's some version of of Jesus and God in 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 your story somewhere, whether it was that you grew up in a Catholic background, which was my dad's story, or my mom in a in a more Lutheran or Baptist background at times. But a lot of that was just their their parents just going on, you know, Christmas and Easter or whenever um that would be. And so they had a little bit of an idea of what that looked like, uh, but but not much. Um but my dad actually who has tons of things that were struggles and problems. And and I don't know if even today, if my dad's been able to fully surrender to Jesus in the way of like forgiving himself uh, and letting Jesus really forgive him for, uh, for, for, for his, for his things. But my dad believes in, in Jesus. Uh, at times I think a little bit of a skewed, um, example, but, um, but believes in him and in his, in his attempts, um, throughout the chaos of my life to, to try to parent and in the attempts where he would, um, step in me having an idea that, that Jesus was real and that he loved us did matter to him. Now, uh, he didn't have a good way or a way um, of, of being able to show that or, um, or give good examples or handles to that, but there was something there um, for, a, for a big part of my story. Yeah, well, yeah. and it's even interesting, your parents given birth and given you the name Christian. Yeah, yeah it's, it's crazy. And I haven't even gotten a ton of, other than just as as my mom was about to give birth, my dad just came in and said, this is the name like, and I'm not even sure where he fully, I don't know if he fully knows again, the chaos that was represented, um, some of that early life, uh, for myself. And then that time for my parents is pretty chaotic. And so, yeah, yeah. 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 So, so that was kind of your parents' background and obviously that's what you grew up mm-hmm. under when it comes to faith. So then what was your view of God yeah. growing up? Yeah, I I I would have said probably that I believe in God. Like as a seventh grader, I would have said that I believe in Him. Um, be beyond that, I just had no, I had no frame of reference. Like I had really no grasp for for what that for what that was. Um, so this was all you know. Come seventh grade, this was all real new for me. Yeah, you know, real real new. So then. What did that look like? Caleb drives away after dropping you off and yeah. you you really have this hunger, this desire to find out more about Jesus. Yeah. How did you go about that? Yeah, well, I just, uh, luckily, uh, not luckily, um, Caleb was, uh, you know, came from, from a home that loved Jesus. Uh, he was connected and his parents were connected. I can see it now, right? As a, as an adult connected to a church, um, connected to a community. When we see somebody that needs Jesus and, and has, has shown, you know, uh, needs and, 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 uh, 
becomes part of your community, you, you, you band together. And I didn't know that's what was happening, but it was what was happening, right? There was this community in this church that was banding together. There probably wasn't an elder in the church who didn't know my name, right? And, but I didn't know them, like, but they were praying for me. They were, I mean, all of a sudden from that, from that one step. And it, it's, it's what's so important to me that, that people understand that at any age, um, with any abilities, um, you can be the catalyst for change in somebody's life. And so Caleb, uh, the 16 year old, right? The 16 year old who liked to listen to Reliant K and play his guitar, um, and didn't know how to do ministry. Um, he ignited a church that, uh, then started to care for me. And so, um, as much as I started to pursue Jesus, it was really his people pursuing me from 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 then on. I mean, I couldn't go very long without getting, you know, invited to something, a phone call, a check-in from multiple different students, parents, pastors, um uh all all people from the church who wanted who wanted to make sure that I knew that Jesus loved me. And so, um that all kind of culminated. I, I started attending youth group pretty regularly. Um, I started attending church. Um, I'd get picked up often uh, by different families uh, to go, and uh, so I um, I end up uh, going to um, a youth conference with uh, with the youth group called Acquire the Fire, um, which was a big uh, kind of rally youth conference at the time, and uh, I got to. Uh, hear them talk about uh, Jesus in so many different ways than I had ever, you know, experienced, experienced uh, worship in a different way than I had experienced. And, um, and it was all still pretty new and foreign to me. And, um, but uh, the newsboys actually like performed at it. And, and uh, um, uh, the lead singer of the newsboys got up at, during their set and talked about, um, giving, uh, you know, it sounds very Carrie Underwood now, but that song wasn't out yet. Um, but he talked about giving, uh, the steering wheel of your life, you know, over, over to Jesus and, um, and letting him drive, letting him be in control. Um, and really he was talking about this idea of surrendering, um, you know, not just this idea of believing, which I think I believed, um, but this idea of surrendering. And so as a seventh grader, I said, yeah. And uh, to me, I mean, I could look up and down as we're sitting in the Target Center and I can look you know, up and down the rows and I see Caleb on one side and I see Joseph on the other and I see these adults on the other and I go, this is what they've all done. And these are the people that love me. These are the people that look like the kind of lives that I would want to live. And so I want to follow and surrender to who they follow and surrender to. Um and uh and so that started the journey I and mean, it was a long journey um you know sanctification and uh and fully giving of your life is still happening for me at 32 but yeah yeah i i can't help but think christian obviously going through your story your upbringing I'm sure there was a sense of love there but not a healthy version mm -hmm. of love and so yeah. now all of a sudden you have all these people loving on mm -hmm. you, you're having the love of the Father yeah. enter into you. 
I, I'm wondering, as, as much as there was a part of you that liked that and, and it made you feel yeah. good, was there another part that made it kind of difficult to accept that love or to like just really question like, am I deserving of this? Am yeah. I worthy of this just because of how you grew up? Yeah, you know, I actually think, um, you know, as I talked about, uh, kind of below some of that anger that was present for me, kind of, kind of beneath the surface of that was this, this, you know, pretty sensitive, uh, little boy who just, who just really did want to be loved. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think through, through, through the kinds of kindness that that were present in these people and Caleb and others um i think it broke down some of that pretty pretty quick and got really at that core of just a of just a young boy who wanted to be loved and so i think i accepted it pretty quick i think i actually probably a little um you know and they were so gracious and 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 kind but i was definitely more on the needy side of of those things you know um I'm sure I've, you know, as, as an adult now, and as I've, I've gotten the opportunity to minister and love on students, um, in, in my life, uh, and people who need love, um, you know, we've probably all experienced those people that you give, you give them an inch and they, they take a mile. And I was probably for sure that, that kid, I mean, I, I don't, for me, it's a lot of fondness on my side because I was experiencing love and, um, and I was finding Jesus and all of that. And, and yet I can imagine some of the conversations and the struggle with like, oh, like, I mean, this was pre the, the wide use of cell phones. Um, and so, but I would get home from school and the very first thing I would do is call Caleb. And if he didn't answer, I'd call him again. And if he didn't answer, I'd call him again. And if he didn't answer, I'd call him again. You weren't and, needy at all. Yeah. <laughs> and so, um, you know, and for a 16 year old to operate in that sort of grace, to be able to not, um, to not just ignore me or to, you know, with some of that neediness, get angry or frustrated. Um, I'm sure he did at times. And, um, I think maybe even he did at times like with me even, but I, I mean, I, I don't know many 16 year olds who can do that. And I think, uh, Caleb was following something bigger than him and, uh, showing me that yeah. love. So, yeah. Yeah. So to me, Christian, at that time of your life, it sounds like that was the church being the church, mm -hmm. right? Like the church yeah. is not a building. Yeah. It's not like this physical structure. It's the people yeah. and it's and it's loving, it's giving, it's serving, it's discipling. Yeah. That's what was going on in your life at that mm -hmm. time. And I think that goes to show the importance of just being part of the body, being part of the church. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. I think, um, I think when the community... Uh, of the church comes together, that's how lives are changed. That's how lives are changed. You have no idea what it does to a person when a community of people collectively love you. Like, so it's powerful. different. It's different. Um, and so it's a constant reminder for me of the importance of that, the importance of community, and uh, and the importance of the body of Christ working together. Um, to show the world that Jesus 
died for them and that he loves them and that he wants them to surrender to him. Uh, You need, you need the body of Christ to show you that. Yeah. And so you're, you're pursuing God. And like you said, that process of sanctification that is ongoing until, you know, we die and we're, we're with Christ. A lot of good stuff going on. I'm wondering, obviously, again, not that we want to give the enemy ton of credit or anything like that. But obviously when we're pursuing after God and even like the first time Mm -hmm. really pursuing after God, that there can be some resistance there, that there can be some obstacles. I'm wondering what kind of resistance or what kind of struggles did you face as you were coming to terms with like this new sense of love over your life? Yeah. Well, you know, I think as a seventh grader too, you just have such a small amount of understanding of just life, you know, let alone, let alone how to live your life for Jesus. Right. And so, and, um, every example up to that point was probably an example for me of how to not live for for Jesus. And so, um, and so, uh, it, it was definitely a process. I mean, I remember so much of like, you know, uh, having conversations with uh, my youth pastor Jason um, at the time, and um, and other adults, and Caleb of just like, oh, that's, oh, you're not, you're you're not, you're not supposed to do that. Oh, that's, oh, that that's a sin. Oh, I didn't, you know, I didn't realize that, or or all all sorts of things uh, with that. Also, just like the practical life things too. Of like, um, I've been, I've been dealing a lot with in my own, in my own soul lately of like, um, a little bit of this difference of like kindness, which I do think is, is, is super important, but I think there's a lovingness and like, uh, a, a being very loving that doesn't always look kind, but it, it is the most kind. And so I guess what I mean by that is like, I remember Caleb sitting in a, in a car with me once and he gifting me gifting me uh, a stick of deodorant and Caleb wasn't being mean um but it could have been perceived as mean that maybe the maybe the world's version of kindness would have been to just not say anything um you know but like Caleb knew that I didn't have a dad at home who was gonna give me that and show me how to use that and sh- and talk to me about showers and talk to me about how to clean my clothes like it meant addressing a yucky thing in my life, which was that I was smelly, right? Like that's what it meant addressing. Um, but uh, it it was done in a way that was, I think, the most loving instead of just, oh, well, I don't want to embarrass him, so I'm not going to talk about it, you yeah. know? And, and so I think that's a great example for what happened over the next couple of years with sin in my life as well. Um, Caleb and others would do that. They would, they would help point out it wasn't always easy. Um, and it wasn't always comfortable, but it was necessary. It was necessary. And so, um, again, the body of Christ, the church, um, really helped me grow, really helped me grow, really helped me see, helped me understand what actually surrendering, what actually giving the steering wheel of your life, uh, to Jesus, like, looked like, um, and how to, how to live that out. Um, now Satan wasn't interested in this for sure. And, and my world was about to get harder. So, um, 
in seventh, so in seventh grade, uh, all of that happened. And then from then till about ninth grade, I just ran after that as much as I could. I mean, I would be, I, I'd, I'd go multiple nights in a week, maybe even weeks at a time of staying at a friend's house who, you know, Caleb's house or my buddy Josh's house and these other people who, whose families knew Jesus and did not mind me crashing on their couch because they knew what I was going home to. And so, um, and you know, I'd go everywhere with those families and I'd be just, those would be my worlds. And, um, and so things weren't getting better at home. My dad's, uh, drug addictions were getting worse and, and some of his relationships that were present in our house, like were getting worse and it just was not, um, a healthy place. And yet I was just, you know, living over in this other place that was for me, life was becoming the best it had ever been. Um, you know, surrounded again by this church community. And I was, you know, finding out who Jesus was more and more. And, um, I wouldn't have wanted anything to change. Um, now, as we had talked about before, that wasn't what was happening for my sister. Um, and so at the end of my ninth grade year, um, and that was the other big thing too, is like school was still tough in seventh and eighth grade, but like it was slowly getting better. And then, and then when I moved into ninth grade and moved into the high school, all of a sudden there were all these people from my youth group who were at the school and a lot of them were juniors and seniors who cared for me. And so I would make sure I was good and all right. And so all of a sudden I liked school. All of a sudden, like life was just really good. And I remember I got to the end of my ninth grade year and into the summer and my dad uh, had gotten in some some more trouble and uh, we got removed from our house and had to go and live with my mom and uh, my stepdad in Little Falls. Uh, and I couldn't have been more angry. I mean, I could not have possibly been more angry. I mean, I had a still a pretty pretty rough relationship with my stepdad, um, moved me a half an hour away from all of these people that I had connected with, this church family that I had connected with. Um, Also, as much as I had, you know, given my life to Jesus as that point, I was still so young, um, both in age and in that relationship with Jesus, you know. And so um, I just remember being so angry and and my stepdad had a lot of expectations of how I would be and what I would do and we clashed like from the very from the very beginning of, of moving out there and uh um and I don't think it was too I don't I don't think it was a month maybe even before um he had kicked me out and uh that started a pretty crazy whirlwind i don't even i don't even have a great way of going through all of the details but um from from that from that ninth grade summer so right before the beginning of of 10th grade um to the end of 10th grade i would live with uh five different families and i would go to four different schools all all in 10th grade wow. um I, I lived with a family in Sauk Rapids. One of these, my, my friend Josh, uh, his family took me in. And then again, my mom, just in some of her cognitive uh, 
incapabilities just decided that I, she might not feel this way, but I, I would describe it as she kind of felt like I had it too good there for, and and versus my sister. So then she, she brought me back, um, out of there after a couple of months, um, into the school year, that 10th grade year. And then, uh, that didn't go well again. Um, and, uh, I was, she had put me into little falls school and that, and, uh, of course things didn't go well again with my stepdad. So then I ended up living with an aunt and, uh, in peers and going to peers. And then I ended up back with my mom again, similar reasons. It was just, you know, lots of dysfunction, lots and lots of dysfunction. Um, I was as angry as I've ever been, sad and depressed as I've as I've ever been. Um, I I haven't much in my life ever dealt with uh, thoughts of self harm or suicide, but I was definitely thinking about uh, again such a lack of understanding, right? Such a lack of understanding. All I knew is that life absolutely sucked, like worse than I ever had, and that I love Jesus. Right. And that's all I knew. And so I don't know if I actually had full thoughts of ever committing suicide, but I had a lot of thoughts of it would just be a lot better to be with Jesus than to be here. Um, and so, which is, which, which is, uh, a young 10th graders, you know, version of trying to understand things, you know, um, uh, by, by the end of that 10th grade year, I, I, there was a family, um, who knew my mom and then, uh, through, through some church stuff, my mom would kind of go through these weird spurts where she'd kind of go to church, but then like not go to church. And, um, I don't, it was confusing for me, but through that, she went to, um, uh, an assembly of God church in, uh, uh, little falls called living hope. And, and one of the, one of the, uh, people that attended there, her name was Lisa, and Lisa um, had seen me one day um, and kind of knew the difficulty that was there um, in my in my story, and she, she had started praying. And one day at the end of my 10th grade year into that next summer, um, uh, my stepdad had kicked me out again, and I'm walking down the street angry, rebellious, mad, um, don't know where I'm walking to, but think I can walk somewhere. I don't know. Um, and, uh, and so I'm walking and she pulled up behind, uh, me walking on the street and she says, why are you walking? And I tell her, and she has me get in her car, takes me to her house, goes and talks, goes and talks to her husband. And, uh, they came back to me and said, we'd like you to live with us. And, um, my mom didn't want that at first she did. And then, you know, we go a couple months and then she wouldn't want me to and this kind of stuff. But Lisa was the first one to fight against that. She fought. Um, she wouldn't let my mom take me back. She was ready to go and, and get things done legally if needed. And, and so there was, uh, so for the next two years, I, I got to live there for my junior and senior year of high school. I got to live there. I got to go to Little Falls. I got to get a sense of normalcy for really the first time in a really long time. I remember being both excited and bummed because I so badly wanted to be back in Sock Rapids. I so badly wanted to be back to that church. and um, But uh, God had something different. And um, through that, I, I got connected to that 
that church in Little Falls, um, Living Hope, uh, I got connected to uh, a new community, um, and I got connected to this family who took care of me well um, for the next two years um, of my childhood. Wow. So, God's yeah. provision, right? Yeah. I mean, each time yeah. you got kicked out, he had something else, yeah. maybe something better and healthier for you. Yeah. But man, what a whirlwind your high school was. I can't yeah. even imagine. And, yeah. and, and we know that those are hard, you know, stressful years to begin with. Mm-hmm. And you add on top that you were in all these different schools and all these different yeah. homes, man, how, uh, how did you cling to Jesus through that all? Well, I think a huge, so I remember 10th grade, my mom had it's one of the times she had had me come back <laughs> to to her house, and I was enrolled at Little Falls High School, and I remember just really, again, I'm so angry at this point. I'm so mad. I'm, you know, maybe thinking about, you know, in the realm of, of, of suicide, you know, for, for the only time in my life. Um, and uh, I remember sitting by myself at uh, the the little falls lunchroom again, just angry and, and feeling hopeless, you know, feeling, feeling hopeless. And I didn't know, but at that time there was, uh, um, there were two people in, uh, in, in a car praying in a parking, in the parking lot of the Sauk Rapids or sorry, of the little falls, um, high school. Uh, their names were Matt and Hannah. I had met Matt, um, a couple of times through, through youth group. Matt was, uh, uh, he worked for, uh, nonprofit in town called Youth for Christ. Um, and he was connected to a bunch of the local um, youth groups. And he was connected to my youth pastor, uh, Jason. And um, and so when I had come in at seventh grade, uh, I had met I had met Matt and Hannah through a few different ways, whether it was um, area youth groups getting together or uh, Matt coming to speak at our youth group um, and uh, or going to uh, this thing that Matt ran. I remember going when I was in eighth and ninth grade, he ran this thing called Band of Brothers at Harvest Church uh, for for boys, for seventh to twelfth grade boys that wanted to do what it says in John 10.10, 10, uh, live life to the full. Um, and so Matt um, and Hannah were going to speak to a health class at Little Falls that day, and they had heard that I may have ended up at Little Falls High School, and they stopped while they were in the parking lot and they prayed that they would see me if if I was if I was there and that they would have an opportunity um, to talk to me, and they happened to be walking through and going to have lunch at the same time that I was having lunch and they saw me and they came and sat with me and they spoke life and encouragement. They prayed with me and they cared well, um, for me in that moment. And I remember, and things again, like I, like I already described the rest of that 10th grade year didn't get easier. Uh, however, it was just enough hope of Jesus, just enough reminder of what Jesus had done, um, right, through Caleb and through the church family and through the extended church body, like places like this, um, with Matt and Hannah and Youth for Christ and and Band of Brothers and different things like that. Like, it was just enough reminder of that hope that I, I think it's what got me through. Because I, I, when I look at my story now and that time, 
it felt like that year. It really felt like that was like that was Satan's shot. That was his shot. I'm gonna I'm gonna stop this now. Like I'm gonna I'm gonna take you know yeah you had you found you think you found that hope and you think you found like all of this, but I'm gonna I'm gonna stop it now. Um, I don't know if he would have succeeded in that. Um, but man, you don't need. Jesus is so much more powerful and you don't need much of it. That little bit of hope in the lunch, in the lunchroom uh, with Matt and Hannah was enough, was yeah, enough man. to shut that down and say, I'll get through this. Come on. I'll get through this and we'll, uh, and yeah. Man, I just think of how God has strategically placed people in your mm-hmm. life exactly when you needed them, where you needed them. And that's just another example. What a cool testimony in and of itself right there, right? And so you go on through high school, you graduate. What does life look like for you after that? Yeah. You know, again, when you're a little displaced, I mean, the, the, uh, Lisa and her family were so kind to me and, um, and had really taken me in as their own in many ways, but, when when you've gone through a lot of the chaos and a lot of the moving around that I did, you kind of feel like a little bit of a nomad um, at that point. And I didn't have a lot of uh, real direction of what to do. You know, I college, you know, felt like what you're supposed to do, but I didn't understand it, and um, I. I, I didn't know I didn't know what I wanted to do. I think I always had this desire to kind of be back in Sock Rapids and near that. And so as an adult, I just kind of moved back to the St. Cloud area. Um, I started attending church at Bridge Community again, and I just kind of started to adult. Like I was I was I was working um, a little bit. I uh, was just kind of trying to figure it out, you know, and, uh, I went to the tech college for a little bit. I went to, um, St. Cloud State for a little bit, but I didn't really know what I wanted. Um, and so those first, those first couple of years out of high school was, I uh, felt a little, a little aimless, a little aimless. Uh, I just wasn't sure what, uh, God was calling me to, or, or what, what I wanted, what I wanted to do with, with the rest of my life. Um, which is so hard. Um, I kind of hate that we do that to teenagers and to young adults of like, figure out the rest of your life in the time when you're probably least cognitively ready to figure out the rest of your life. Dude, I, Um, I tell my clients that all the time, like my high school, college age clients, I'm just like, I know that for the last couple of years, you've been getting the message that you need to figure out what you want to do with the rest of your life. But mm-hmm. I'll draw like a, a line on a piece of paper and just kind of it represents our lifespan. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I just put 100 years as like the, the end of it. Yeah. But I, I show them like you're at 18 here. Yeah. You've you've lived this little line of, yeah. of life. Yeah. It's not really realistic for you to expect to know what you want to do with that that large line. Yeah. Right. And I'm sure teachers don't like me for saying that, but I don't care because like you said, it's man, even me, I didn't know what I wanted to do exactly out of high school. And it's just, it's a lot of pressure. Yeah. Well, I, uh, yeah, when I was probably 20, yeah, probably 2021, I started, uh, volunteering with that group that I had talked about band of brothers, um, that Matt, uh, had ran. Um, I got reconnected with Matt and I started, um, 
volunteering uh, as a leader in, in, in Band of Brothers is just, it's it's pretty much uh, an all-boys ministry focused, um, again, on helping young men to live life to the full. Um, and we believe that that's through relationship with Jesus. And so um, we're trying to show them what that looks like and what a relationship with Jesus looks like uh, throughout your life. So I started volunteering as a, as a, as a leader with that. And pretty quickly, I was like, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to do. And so within that next year, um, I met my wife, um, which was incredible. Um, well, let, let's and, give us the yeah, background here. How did yeah, you meet Sheena? Yeah. So, um, so I, I, I met her uh, actually at a... Um, well, we didn't actually meet, but um, I saw her for the first time um, at a... Uh, <laughs> At an event that we actually put on for for Band of Brothers, um, uh, we we try to get creative with just what like how to help young men grow into 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 men into to men who love Jesus and we and we try to get creative and have fun with that. And so one of the things that we we did is we were like, well, what do you do? You know, we had had some boys ask like I think we had had one boy in our group that was going to go to a wedding, and he was like, I don't know what to do at a wedding. I don't know how to sit by you know like all of this is so silly. But um, and so we were like, all right, let's have fun with this. Let's let's uh, let's teach them. Let's teach them what like you know when you're sitting at a table with ladies and with other people, um, how do you how, what's proper etiquette? How do you behave? You know, and so we, we wanted to have fun with it. We had a friend who worked at uh, um, Famous Dave's at Famous Dave's. We had a friend who worked at Famous Dave's, and uh, so we we rented a big area of Famous Dave's, or like reserved an area of Famous Dave's, and we we brought all of our boys there and. It sounds a little bit like speed dating, which is a bit of a bummer because it definitely wasn't. Uh, but um, we brought some some uh, some some adult women we knew uh, from the community that were you know that that were part of the greater church body that were connected to some of us, and uh, they would the you know kind of go around this table and. Um, kind of grade the boys on their etiquette. So like, how were they, you know, were they polite? Were they, did they, you know, did they speak kind? Did they start conversation? Did they, um, you know, whatever, all, all of those kinds of things. And so Sheena, um, was one of the ladies through it, through another connection that was invited to that thing. And I remember just seeing her and I just asked everybody like, and somehow she laughed or I was too nervous to talk to her or whatever. So we never talked, but I asked everybody I knew who was that girl and how do I get um, connected to her? And so uh, as some time went by, um, one of my friends who was actually my roommate at the time started uh, dating her roommate at the time. And so, uh, we got connected that way and, um, it didn't take super long, um, for us to start, to start dating. And, um, we dated about a year and then, uh, I think we got engaged, uh, at the one year mark of dating. And then, uh, we were married five months later and it's the best. So, um, yeah. So, uh, in that same year that I met her, um, I had started, I started interning with, uh, Youth for Christ, um, and, uh, two really important pieces of my adulthood, um, my wife, the most important, and, uh, my job, which I really love, um, 
working at Youth for Christ because that internship turned into the position of running Band of Brothers, which has been a really sweet, really cool um, gift that the Lord has given me. That that position has morphed now into a focus on the Sock Rapids High School, um, and so I get to I get to see the Sock Rapids High School as a as a mission field, um, and I get to uh, strategically look at that place and how to love well and serve it well um and love the students um in that building well so man i I, two things kind of come to my mind as you're telling your story here one full circle Mm -hmm. you know here you were being a part of band of brothers at really important times of your life and just the influence that those other men had on you and now you're one of those men Mm -hmm. that are having an influence on Mm -hmm. other people like how I mean, yeah. that that's just like our God yeah. to make a full circle moment like yeah. that. It's really cool. And then the other thing is, like you said, with Sheena and then with, with Max and mm-hmm. Selah and, and just the total 180, essentially, yeah. of a family life you have now compared to when you grew up. You kind of mentioned it earlier, but as, as you look at your family now, Sheena, mm-hmm. Max, and Selah, and just how amazing and beautiful that is compared to how you grew up yeah. and and the the conditions that you grew up i mean what's yeah. that like for you to kind of reflect on man god is and i guess that was the other thing that i re- reflected on is what a good dad mm-hmm. our father is yeah. who knows how to give Absolutely. good gifts and so as you reflect yeah. on that gift of of your family now what yeah. what, what comes to mind yeah i remember when uh when we went there, when we found out that Sheena was pregnant with, uh, with Max, um, the amount of nerves that came over me, I think, I think some of that's so normal, so normal, uh, when you're about to be a dad. Uh, but, um, I had a lot of fear, um, as well. I, uh, I thought, well, I don't know how to be a dad. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know how to like, um, I don't, you know, I didn't, I didn't have that. So how am I going to be that, you know? And, um, uh, a friend of mine helped point out, uh, all of the, that actually maybe in some ways I have a, I have an advantage. And, and what he meant by that was that, uh, I can point, I can point and name, uh, multiple, multiple men who have invested in my life and they're all different types of dads. They're all really good and really different types of dads. And so I've gotten to see all the examples. Um, I think because they knew that my life looked like it did, I had a lot of men in my life through the church, through um, the body of Christ, uh, step in um, step in and care and invest. And so I got to see all these examples of really good dads. And when I get into tough situations, sometimes I get to go, well, huh, I've actually seen this guy deal with this, or I've seen both of these guys deal with this. I wonder, oh, he did it this way and he did it this way. And so like, if I'll allow myself to fully enter into the story that God is telling, um, I actually have some like a, a real wealth of knowledge of, of how to be a good dad if I'll, if, if, if I'll take it. Um, and so, and 
most of those relationships are still present for me. So I don't have just one dad to call and say, hey, how do I deal with this? Like I've got a list of four, five, six guys that I that I regularly talk to and can call and say, hey, how do I deal with this? So what a blessing. Um, yeah. So I, I think when I when I when I think about that, um, I can see how uh, I can see how Jesus is working and um, and how this thing happens. Yeah. yeah, I remember when you and Sheena were expecting Max. Yeah. You were actually preaching a message at church. Oh and, yeah, and this is going back a, a little ways, but yeah, you were open and honest mm-hmm. about how you were kind of scared yeah. and and fearful of becoming a dad. Mm-hmm. But then you were able to kind of come to the other side and talk about well, these are all the new like le- like you said lessons mm-hmm. that I've learned yeah. that I can either apply or avoid, yeah. you know, with becoming a first time dad. And I remember you talking about how you had like a wish list on Amazon of all the different Lego sets you wanted to yeah. eventually do with Max. Yeah. And uh, man, yeah. I've, I've had a couple opportunities to see you interact with Max and yeah. it's, you're, you're a great dad, dude. Mm-hmm. It, it's clear that you yeah. um, have taken those lessons and advice mm-hmm. of, of your other father figures and applied them. Yeah. And, um, man, it's just so cool to, to see where God has, has brought you at from where you were. Even when we first met, mm-hmm. I remember, I think it was shortly after we met, you had, um, one of your relationships had ended. Mm-hmm. And I remember you being really just crushed by that. Yeah. And now to see, again, God's redemption of bringing Sheena into your life. Yeah. And like, like you said, how much better God's story is yeah. than anything that we could possibly write on our yeah. own. It's so true. That's so, so true. Yeah, I think as I look at my story and just continually see uh, what God is doing and how he has written it, I just, I, it's a great reminder of just how poor of an author I would be. Like, I I would, you know, I'd, I'd have all these ways I thought it should be, and it would be so poor in comparison. Um, I think one more example of that that's, I think, really important um, to this whole thing is, uh so after after Max was born, so when Sheena and I had started dating and uh, had gotten engaged and stuff, my dad and I had started to really grow in our in our relationship. My dad um, ha- has been drug free since two thousand seven, um, and God. so uh, it's allowed us to to really um, dive into to our relationship, and through that. Just through some circumstance ways, you know, again, when you have when you have chaos and you have dysfunction, um, it makes sometimes getting out of it is really is is really, really tough. Even when you've made some really good decisions and and, you know, uh, getting getting fully out can be really hard. And so as you can imagine, when you live a life like that, things like credit and other things like that are are really tough. And and uh, uh, my dad was unable to get out of that that trailer house that we lived in where again, just so many, so many tough things had happened. And, um, he was at a point in life where, you know, this is right around the time that Max was born where he was, uh, he was really probably living the best he had lived in a really, really, really long time and was still kind of stuck in some areas living in this place. And so Sheena and I, through a lot of prayer, uh, decided to invite him to come live in our home and uh, to, to live in our basement. And so 
uh, that was probably about, you know, a, a little less than a year in, into Max's life. And so Max doesn't really know a life without his papa living downstairs. And Sayla doesn't know a life without her papa living downstairs. And he's as much a part of their family as I am and as Sheena is. And my dad is a really good grandpa. And God has told a really incredible story um, there to get to the redemption that happens every day in my home. Uh, that at times is hard. Um, at times having a reminder in your house of the things as you're trying to build something that's so different from what it was for me. Sometimes having that reminder there is hard. But that's again if I start to focus on the way that I see the story. But if I if I shift that focus to the way God sees the story, I have a constant reminder of what God's doing. Um, my dad is at a different place in his life than I ever thought was possible. Um, he's an important, pivotal piece of our family, and he uh, he enriches uh, the life of not only Max and Sayla, but of me and Sheena as well. So. Yeah, God is constantly telling better stories than we can, and his redemption is weaved uh, into every single piece, I think. especially, And I think that's true. I do think that's true in my life. I think it's true in all of our lives if we'll if we'll have it, if we'll, if we'll look for it and we'll see it. I think often it's not, it's not whether or not God is doing those things. It's whether or not we can see it. Um, I'm not really sure why. I think, I think I have some influences in my life that might be why, but it's easy for me to reflect like I like I I'm not a journaler, but like just in general in life, I, I, I reflect a lot. There are not a lot of times where I'm not either in in my brain or or just verbally with with others um, reflecting on what my story has looked like. And um, and I think I think that's why I'm able to see and I think it's why others are able to see in my life the the, the redemption that, that God has done. Um, but I think that's available for everybody. I think um, if you'll have it, if you'll have it and you'll look and you'll you'll look at it through God's eyes and and not as much through yours, I think his redemption is is there and and it's being told um, all around us. Amen, dude. Yeah. You know, and as you're talking, I think of, I think it's Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Trust yeah. in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. Commit your past to him and yeah. he will establish your footsteps. And yeah. I just see you living that out, man. Mm -hmm. I mean, even just the thing with your dad, a lot of other people could have been like, you know, well, screw him. Mm -hmm. He didn't, you know, he mm -hmm. wasn't a good dad to me or didn't set a good example yeah. for me or that's his own fault or whatever. But no, you took that posture of humility and of just love. And hey, I want to honor, you know, my dad as mm -hmm. well. And I want to help mm -hmm. him out as much as I can. And to see how God has redeemed that relationship is incredible. And I mean, just over the, this last almost hour and a half, man, of, of talking, I think about, you mentioned that word chaos a lot. Yeah. And I think of Genesis 1, you know, the mm -hmm. beginning, the world was in chaos, but yeah. br God brought order yeah. to that chaos. Yeah. And I, I see the, him doing that in your life as mm -hmm. well, that he has brought so much beautiful order yeah. to your life. And and here you are now married with an amazing family in ministry, yeah. you know, making an impact on so many people. To kind of close out here, Christian, how can people either learn more about Youth for Christ, Band of Brothers, yeah. or how can they support you? Yeah. So, um, well, I think first, uh, the you know, again, 
the mission for for me at Youth for Christ is to is to is to pursue lost kids, kids that that are on the fringes, kids that don't know who Jesus is, that that you know, in a lot of ways the way I would describe myself, you know, as a as a 7th grader. And I think it's important. I think the best way you can support um is to know that you have that you have that opportunity that Caleb had. Everybody has that opportunity in their story somewhere. I think um, you can probably think of a teenager like in your life. You can probably think of a teenager, whether it's a nephew, um, a son, uh, a, f- a neighbor kid. Um, you can probably think of a teenager that you have influence over. And, you know, it. if a 16-year-old who has no idea how to really love um can love and love well then then you can too and um and if you don't know how to do that if you don't know how to reach out to that teenager or you feel like there's a lot of barriers the the one thing you always can do is pray i needed prayer i i can't tell you how many people must have been praying for me um uh i i've heard i i've sheena was uh doing um ACFE with our with our kids at uh, uh, one of the schools here in in St. Cloud and um, was taking them and there was a little open house and they had been going and my Max had been talking about Miss Jeannie and uh, and he loved this teacher that and and all this stuff and so um, but they had an open house and so I went because I, I I didn't ever go with in the mornings or whatever to ECFE but I went to this open house with them at night one time to kind of see the school and to meet teachers and whatever and I walk in and uh, Jeannie looks at me and she goes is is your name Christian and do you have a sister Corrine and I was like yes and and she start her eyes started to swell up with tears now she knew max and she knew sheena um because they had been in this ecfe class and she had gotten to know my sweet little boy um and she says uh i i knew you too when you were little and i've been praying for you um cuz she knew we were in a tough situation and she knew and so I didn't know Jeannie and I could have never have guessed that she was praying for me. Wow. Um but she was and so when you ask like what are ways you can support, I think the first the first most important thing is prayer. Um our God is bigger than any problem that any teenager is facing, but they don't know that. They don't know that. And our world will tell you that the problems they're facing are bigger than them. And that and that dealing with that issue is more important than them. And it's just not true. They are who matters and they need to know Jesus. That's that's what they need. You could have fixed all of my problems as a teenager and you could have uh, solved everything. But had I not met Jesus, my life would be nothing. And so that's what they need. So you can pray. Um, also, if you want more info about Youth for Christ, uh, you can go to to our website, Central Minnesota Youth for Christ uh, dot org. And um, yeah, I think uh, if uh, yeah, if you if you would pray, if you would pray for students, if you would reach out to them, uh, 
And if you would even take a moment to go on the website and learn more about what we do. And I'd love to talk to anybody about what we do at uh, Youth for Christ. So, yeah. So. Yeah. And I, I know you're yeah. you're humble, but I'll say it. Yeah. You can also financially uh, yeah. give support to Youth for Christ, yeah. to, to Christian and what he's doing. So again, check out the website mm-hmm. and, and you can follow the links and follow the, the directions there. But yeah. man, it's a mission that I believe in. And I and I yeah. think what you're doing is is so necessary and needed, especially yeah. at such a time as this, yeah. you know, in, in the world that our teenagers and youth mm-hmm. are growing up right now. And mm-hmm. man, what a great example they have in you to to lead them and to guide them and to love on them and to disciple yeah. them. and. Dude, uh, again, you know, you, you you did that for me. You know, yeah. when I was just this yeah. baby Christian, super immature, going mm-hmm. off the grid, going mm-hmm. dark, and and just not knowing how to do things, and you yeah. stuck it out with me, and you and yeah. you and you loved on me. So I'm mm-hmm. indebted eternally for you for that. I thank you for mm-hmm. that, and it's been a, a pleasure just getting to talk to you, man, yeah. and getting your story on on tape here. And yeah. I, I have no doubt that your story is gonna get out to the world and it's going to make an impact Mm. on so many people, but especially a lot of the youth and teenagers that listen to this for sure. Yeah. Thanks, Terry. Really appreciate it. This was really a, this was sweet. It's, it's, it's nice to reflect. Um, again, like I said, through youth for Christ, we tell our story a lot, but this uh, was a really, a really sweet way to do that. So thank you. Yeah. Not a problem. Man, I don't know where I'd be if God hadn't put Christian in my life when he did. I can attest firsthand how Christian meets people where they're at, loves on them, and just pours into them. It's so cool to see what God has done in his life and the position of leadership and influence he's been put in to show Jesus to the youth in his area. It's also so amazing how God took this man from a chaotic family and has blessed him with a loving, supporting, and stable family of his own that his children will be able to grow up in. And that's why, instead of having an individual picture of Christian to promote this episode, he wanted to use a picture of him with his family. Family is so important, and God has blessed Christian with such a great wife in Sheena and two beautiful children in Max and Selah. God truly is the giver of good gifts. If you want to know more about what Christian does, invite him to speak with youth, or financially support him, go to cmyfc.org for more information, and I'll link that in the show notes as well. If you have any questions for Christian, use the hashtag AskTWT and we'll have him answer some. Thanks everyone for tuning in, and if this podcast is blessing you, please leave those five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, share this on social media, and tell a friend or family member about it. That's it for this week, but I'll be back with another testimony next Tuesday. So in the meantime, make sure you're living life in such a way that glorifies God and kicks Satan's butt. Peace.